Welcome to episode six of our podcast, Dad Educates Daughter on 80s Music. I'm Russell and this is Rebecca. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm not bad. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So how did you find this week's music? It was definitely different, like you said. Yeah. So I went in with not much of an expectation because you didn't give much away. You just said it's going to be different. But by the names, I'll let you know what I thought they were going to be and whatnot. But yeah, I just went in with an open mind, which I've been doing anyway, because obviously this isn't music that I would usually listen to. So I've got to go with an open mind. I can't really expect anything or have any pre-assumptions about it. I don't want to give too much away and let you know what I liked and didn't like, because we're getting to that. But it was a different week. It was different to what we've had in previous week. And do you know what? My taste in music, like I'm realising more and more that as much as I say I will listen to anything and anything, I really do listen to anything and every, and anything because there are things that I'm like, I like and there are things that I don't like. I'm surprising myself by the things that I like. It's different every single week. So it's quite good that I'm open-minded about it all. Good. So the podcast, for when we first discussed about doing the podcast and what we wanted to get out of it ourselves, I am educating you and I suppose even influencing you in the 80s music and the bigger spectrum of what was around in the 80s other than what you know from just what I listen to oh definitely yeah because going into it I thought 80s right okay this is what I've listened to with dad that's all I know and I'm just going to constantly be listening to that tough music that not going to lie like I do like it like I'm not against what you listen to but obviously my opinions from when I grew up that's all I had to go by but no you're definitely influencing me and I'm definitely listening to more and more like on Spotify which is where I listen to all the music so they do like playlists based on what you listen to and there's always more than one because you listen to different genres I think Connor has less than me because he listens to more specific and mine's more varied but I've now got a daily mix of 80s music that's good that's how much I'm now listening to it and I had a little listen and a lot of it a lot of it is probably ones that I've listened to already but there's some others in there that I'm like do I listen to now do I do I wait until dad gives me it I don't know how much to indulge myself into the 80s out of the podcast so I don't want to have too much opinion about it before we get to them I don't think it'd be a bad thing you listening to it it's like there's quite a few tv programs on that now there's one on channel five around the best selling singles of each year of the 80s it's on a friday night which i've been watching i think they're up to 1983 i missed this week so i think 1983 or 1982 was this week's okay and then bbc have just started rerunning the top of the pops by decade I watched via YouTube from when it was obviously on before, or BBC iPlayer, whatever which one it was. But now they're rerunning it on a BBC Two on a... It was on last night, so what's that? Saturday. So, yeah. So there is other... So I wouldn't stop you from watching or listening, you know. And then when we come to discuss those bands, you can maybe, you know, say what you... You know, I've actually now quite into them because I've been listening to them through listening to the 80s music up to, up to that point so yeah I would definitely just still listen to the, the groups bands music that we haven't yet discussed by all means I think that's good I'll see what else Spotify gives me then yeah okay well I already told you last week that I wasn't looking for this week's music is not my cup of tea as such there is 
songs I suppose I like of all these groups I wouldn't go out certainly and buy their album in that sense so it'd be interesting to see what you've got to say so on that point let's talk music we shall indeed okay so last week there was status quo the clash squeeze and stray cats so first question as always favorite song of each of those four groups Okay, so status quo, there was a lot of songs. Yeah. And I couldn't pick just one. Oh, right. You liked them then, yeah? <laughs> I kept adding to it. <laughs> so I think my, my biggest favourite was Something About You Baby I Like. But I also put in In the Army Now, Running All Over the World and The Wanderer. I couldn't choose. <laughs> okay. Other than, and it's probably because I can't even remember it, because as I say, I'm not, I wasn't a fan, but definitely the Wanderer in the army now, running all over the world, which we'll come back to when we discuss it. I would agree. They were the songs that I would have probably said the same about. But what was the other one you said? Something about your baby I like. Yeah, that one, I can't recall that one, if I'm honest. Something about your baby I like. Okay. Yeah, I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's status quo then. Then The Clash, I went for London Calling. Uh-huh. Squeeze was Pulling Muscles. That was a hard one to pick from. Yeah. And Stray Cats was The Race Is On. Okay, so we'll go back to state. Well, first of all, how many number ones do you think you heard? Right, I was trying to think, because I know this is always something that we bring up, and I was really trying to think about it while I was listening. Mm-hmm. I really don't know, because it's like status quo, they've got a lot. So I feel like they're going to have maybe two, I want to say, status quo. But then I don't think any of the others maybe have one. Maybe the Clash do with Should I Stay or Should I Go? So I want to go three, but I don't think Squeeze or Stray Cats are going to have a number one. So I want to go three. Two for status quo, one for the Clash. Okay. Shall I tell you none? Really? We've got a week with no number ones? Not in the eight. You have got a number one, but it's from a single that was from the 80s and re-released in the 90s due to an advert. Oh. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. You have listened to a number one, but as far as the 80s go, no number ones. Also, I threw in a couple of earlier songs that I think were better songs than what there was in the 80s. So you had some hits from the late 70s. So a bit like with Gary Newman, we keep saying about Gary Newman, two number ones. They're actually both 1979, Our Friends Electric and Cars, were actually released outside the 80s. So when we keep referring to them as being number ones, actually they weren't in the 80s. So yeah, there was two songs that were hits outside of the 80s. And there was one song that you've mentioned, which is also my favourite, that wasn't even a hit. Okay. As in, it didn't reach the top 40. And it's funny, it's my favourite for that group. It was also yours. So that'll be interesting when we discuss it. So, status quo then, over to you. So, there was a lot to go by. And so, as I said at the beginning, how... Obviously, last week you said it's a very different from what you've been listening to. Yeah. So I went in, obviously, like I said, went in open-minded. But for some reason, I don't know if it's because you said you don't enjoy this music as much as like that might have had something to do with it. But also, 
The name status quo. I also thought this about The Clash. They sound like rock bands just by the name of it. So I went in thinking, oh, this is going to be like quite heavy rock, isn't it? This is why dad doesn't like it. I'm not going to enjoy this at all. But they're not. I mean, there might be a hint of rock in there. And the first thing I wrote was different genre. I get country vibes. Some of it sounds a bit rocky and it's a little bit jazzy. A little bit of jazz, I think. I don't know. I could be way off, but that's what I got. And like, because of the country vibes and like just the instrumental of it all, I couldn't help but picture people in like a barn dance or like school dances. And I was sat there like moving along to it. My feet were going, my shoulders were going. Like I could just see how much fun people had listening to them. They're very catchy. And the thing is, what I noticed about Status Quo is the instrumentals from them are very similar in every single song. It's like they found something that works and stuck with it. You know, like when it works or when it's going good, you don't change it. I think that's what they've done. And I like that about them. Like you're not going, oh, right. So their last song was good, but what's the next one going to be? Because you've had a few flops. So I think I like status quo as much as there was loads of them. Okay, some of them I might not have liked as much, but I did like all of them, I think. And what I also got from it, and these weren't the only ones, but a bit of, Elvis Presley vibes, bit of the 60s having an influence on in there. And I quite liked that. Like it was fast paced, you know, feel good. I felt like I could sing along to it all. And like the repetitiveness of all the songs, I think that's what gets you into it. And then, like I say, the instrumentals are similar. So every song you feel like you feel comfortable with it because you've kind of heard it before. And then I went on to watch videos as I always do. And the first thing I thought was they're old looking compared to previous groups. So, you know, they I don't know, like like you say, some of them have come from 1979. I don't know if that's status quo, but if not 1979, the 1970s. Now, I don't know if that's status quo, but have they been around longer than just the 80s? So like when we've been talking in previous episodes, you've had some that have formed in the late 70s, but they are primarily an 80s group. They tend to be young. That's where they've come from. But because these are older and they've got the 60s vibes, I'm wondering whether they have come from earlier and only reached a hit in the 80s just but I don't know if that's being really judgmental because they're a bit older than everyone else but you know I think we're seeing a change as well like they can't be in the new romantics they're a lot more rough looking they're not as pristine and touched up and their hair's all long they're dressed very casual and you're bringing in the denim now as well they like a bit of denim so I quite liked that it was a nice change And what I did notice as well, I don't, you might tell me when you tell me who's in the group, but it didn't seem like they had one lead vocalist because watching the videos, they kind of took turns with the mic or some of them would share the mic. So yeah, that was quite good to watch. Quite like the look of them. I enjoyed Status Quo. Okay. Wow. I suppose they are, I suppose Status Quo are, I mean, as I said, I like some of their songs, but they're one of these that just, as you said, there's a lot of songs. They, They do pile out a lot of songs. And for me, and this is just me, I like what three and they're the commercial, the biggest commercial ones. And also, I suppose they're biggest hits, but I wouldn't say I like the rest of theirs. So it's quite interesting that you do. Do you know what's really weird, though? You saying that you like like their commercial ones, like their biggest hits. Usually when you send me a list of songs, I'm like, oh, I've heard of that one or I recognise that song title. I didn't really get that with these. Oh, really? 
No. So it's like, as much as it's their commercial and their biggest hit, I didn't really recognise anything this week. And when I listened, I think maybe only The Wanderer, I already really knew. The others sounded familiar, but not like to the point where I knew the chorus. So it was weird. I think that's because, I suppose, without being, I don't know, they're old-fashioned for me. You know, we don't have rock around these days, do we? So I suppose if you listen to a rock channel, you might hear Status Quo more because they're a rock band. But it's funny what you mentioned about them being um, party-ish or whatever, however you described it earlier, because they're classed as boogie rock. Oh, OK. OK, then. See, all these different subgenres. I'm just going with yeah, they sound a bit country and they sound a bit rock. I'd not even heard of boogie rock before. It's like art rock. There you go. And it's it's funny you you said it in the way you you did earlier, because, yeah, they are boogie rock. Oh, I like that. I could I could get down with boogie rock. Info about Status Quo. So um, they were formed in 1962. Oh, OK. So I was right that they're very dated. Yeah. They were originally called the Spectres and then Traffic, but then they changed Traffic to Traffic Jam. Oh. And then became, as I say, in 1962, Status Quo. Or Status Quo, in, sorry, in 1967. So they formed in 1962 as the Spectres. Then obviously had a change around with the group, become the Traffic Jam or the Traffic, and then they become the Traffic Jam. And then their most... I suppose, better-known lineup and became status quo in 1967, dropping the the in 1969 and then just become status quo. Oh. So they've gone through a few name changes. So Francis Rossi and Alan Lancaster. So Francis Rossi is lead vocalist and guitarist. He's the one with the really long hair. And Alan Lancaster, who's the bassist, they were the two main figureheads in forming it. Then they got Rick Parfit, who was the, the blonder... Shaggy type hair. Uh, guitar. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. He's also the vocalist and rhythm guitar. And then you've got Andy Brown on keyboards, John Gott Coughlin on drums. He was on drums until 1981. And then Peter Kitcher took over 81 to 85. And then Jeff Rich, 85 to 2000. So they stayed together... And only lost a couple of drummers, really. Yes, yeah. And I suppose they pretty much obviously then closed, unfortunately, after the death of Rick Parfit. Wow, so they went through a lot of decades, if you're going all the way to 2000. Well, 2016, Rick Parfit passed away. And I think they were still active even up till then. Wow. So they've done their time in the music. Yeah. And they're still going... Through John Coughlin, it's now called John Coughlin Crow, and he's still going now. So there's a new heritage chart that I happen to follow through the DJ Mike Reed, and I noticed that he's on it this week or last week. What does the heritage chart entail? Heritage is passed by bands, groups that are releasing music now, but obviously they're not going to get into the mainstream, really. So you've got Marty Pello on there from Wet Wet Wet. He's just released some new music. Gary Newman, as we said about Intruder, he's on there. The Vapors, Babylon, they're on there. And as I say, this John Coughlin Quo is on there. Can I just say, Gary Newman has come up on my Spotify. It has now come up on my homepage under Recently Listened To. It gives out, like, new music. Gary Newman has released new music. Oh, God. 
I'm literally getting there. And I've not listened to Gary Newman since, but he's there. There you go. But yeah, because he has released, as we mentioned, obviously in episode one when we discussed him, he's just released and he's still in the heritage chart even now. So yeah, the drummer, John Coughlin, who left actually in 1981, he's now bringing out new music. He's still going in the Quo name, even though it's got his name and then just Quo. And he left so early as well. Like they carried on for so long after him. Yeah. But obviously you've got to think they started though back in the 60s. So he was with them all through the 70s and then the beginning of the 80s. And because we're just talking 80s, I mean, they have had a number one. So even though I said there's no number one, status quo have had a number one with Down Down in 1974. Right. So that's not the one that I've listened. No, 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 no. That was just a number one they had in 1974 so their first hit as i said was 1968 pictures of matchstick men that got to number seven that was their first hit and then in 1974 with down down they got to number one so they've been releasing music pretty much you could say from like the, the late 60s so obviously the 1970s and 1980s were probably their two most famous eras and as I said last week, when I was introducing the bands, if you remember, I said one of them was the opening act on Live Aid. Status Quo was that act. Oh. Because they wanted a band, obviously, to get the audience up and ready for the rest of the show. Oh, I can understand that. And Status Quo, I think, I don't think anyone else could have opened that, to be honest. And I think that was a, a great decision by... Um, I guess Geldof and Majur, if they were the two behind it, who to put them first, I think was, you know, a, a brilliant, brilliant decision. I wrote down, I think they'd be good live. Yeah. So I can understand why they opened up their music so feel good and gets you up. Like Connor weren't even listening to the song. He was just kind of pottering about and he ended up sitting down and we were both sat there moving along to it. So it got both of us. We both thoroughly enjoyed status quo and there upbeat boogie rock of it yeah and i think they were because i suppose because of the, the way they are they were known for their live gigs you know you can imagine them in an open air concert and in a big stadium i suppose you know i can't imagine them in a small indoor concert or pub but definitely an arena a big arena or stadium you can definitely see that they would be very good to have yeah funny you say that i watched so watching the videos I watched The Wanderer, but it was a Top of the Pops video and they had all the audience getting up and dancing about. But they also look like they really enjoy themselves, like they're smiling while singing. They're having a good time. And I think that really helps. Like, So to see them live, they look like they're having a good time, which makes you feel like you're having a good time. And then the music so feel good. So, yeah, I completely understand that. Talking about their live gigs, their last live gig, funny enough, wasn't long after Live Aid. So that was in July 85. And then August 85, I think it was, their last live gig was at Milton Keynes Bowl, which doesn't even isn't around anymore. But they were going on for so long after. Yeah, yeah. But just obviously releasing. I mean, I suppose it takes a lot out of you going around, touring, away from your family or, you know, imagine just working all the time. Yeah. And I guess with me saying that they looked old to previous 80s ones that we've looked at, they must have then been really getting on a bit come the 90s and then the noughties. So I guess it's time for them to, we're released to music, but we're not getting up anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And Alan Lancaster, he left the band. He went and settled in Australia. And Rossi, he went to pursue a solo career. 
Ooh. How did that go? Um, I don't think it was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it was only like why they, because um, then in 1986, they obviously replaced Lancaster with John Edwards, or Rhino, as they, for whatever reason they called him. And he, along with Rossi Parfit Brown and now Jeff Rich, who's now the drummer, if you remember, I said he was from 85 to, to zero. So, so Peter Kitchell obviously left at the same time as, as Lancaster left. And as I say, Rossi went off to pursue. And then when they got back together in 86, obviously Lancaster they replaced and Kitchell they replaced. But Rossi had come back because obviously his solo career didn't do anything. He tried, he failed. So, yeah. So now the lineup is Rossi, Parfit, and Brown still, Brown being the keyboarder. And now you've got John Edwards, Rhino on bass, and Jeff Rich on drums. However, Lancaster, bearing in mind he was the original person to form the group along with Francis Rossi, he took out a legal injunction to stop the band using the name Status Quo. Oh. However, Obviously, I suppose they realised either they knew they were going to lose or they didn't want to go through the courts because of the costs. They settled out of court and obviously still used the name. So Lancaster agreed to a settlement and that was agreed in the January 86 before they got back to obviously released anything else. But yeah, so Lancaster obviously cut ties with them, expecting nothing more to happen. And then when they said, we're going to get back together and we're, you know, blah, blah, blah. I suppose they invited him to join, but obviously he was now settled in Australia. Why did they have like that little break to reform in 86? I, I don't know. I, when, I suppose they just felt they got to that pinnacle, as we said about before with other groups. But no, they obviously got back together and carried on. As I said, they were still churning out music and up until pretty much Parfit's death, I think. So um, going back to Rick Parfit, he he actually, both him and Rossi were made OBEs in 2010 for services to music and charity. You know, they've released songs as well for charity and uh, Running All, All Over the World would have been one of those because Running All Over the World was originally a hit for them in the 70s called Rocking All Over the World. And they changed it from walking to running. <laughs> Do you know what I've just noticed I've done? No. You saying that. So I've written running all over the world as my favourite. Yeah. And then when, so I go on a separate page to write about my videos. I must have seen rocking all over the world on YouTube where, where I've been watching them. But I know I watched running all over the world because I remember the lyrics. But I've written down rocking all over the world as one of the videos I watched. <laughs> so I've obviously noticed that there's two yeah. clicked on the running, but still had rocking in my head and written that down. So rocking all over the world is another one I like, but that was actually from the seventies. I don't even remember running all over the world. I just remember rocking all over the world. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't even remember the seventies one because I, I even for me I'd have been. Not, you know, I wasn't about. a teenager till, as we said, about 80 to 83. Well, no, 84. So, yeah, so um, I didn't even think about running all over the world and walking all over the world because I just know walking all over the world. Aren't they like exactly the same, though? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All they've done is change walking to running. Right, okay. Which is why you wouldn't have probably noticed either. And this, but hence the charity bit that they done a lot. They did do charity music. So, yeah, and then, um, as I say, Rick Parfit unfortunately passed away from sepsis on the 24th of December 2016. So Christmas Eve, which I do believe was the same as George Michael's. Was he Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Only Christmas Day. Oh, he might have been. I know it was Christmas time. 
But weren't that more recent, George Michael? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying the same day. I'm just saying it is around the same time. So facts and figures on status quo, seven albums in the 80s. Wow, so they were really churning them out, weren't they? They meant business. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. No, ten top tens in the 80s, but as I say, no number ones. I'm shocked, you know. So, yeah, what, what you're proposing was number two, and that was in 1980. So that was their earliest hit. Which one? Oh, what you're proposing. I thought you were saying what I was proposing. <laughs> no, no. So the song What You're Proposing, that was their earliest hit, uh, or their biggest hit in the 80s, and that was at the very beginning of the decade. So didn't they get any other number twos? So I will go through. So also in 1980 was a double A side, Lies and Don't Drive My Car. That got to number 11. 1981, Something About You Baby got to number nine. So that was the one you said about, wasn't it? My favourite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 1981, Rock and Roll, number eight. 1982, Dear John, number 10. 1982, She Don't Fool Me, number 36. 1982 as well, Caroline, the live version, number 13. 1983, Old Rag Blues, number nine. 1983, A Mess of Blues, number 15. Also in 1983, Margarita Time, number three. It's not a bad one. I'd, I'll be honest, I don't even know what that sounds like. But it's obviously, as I say, that got to number three. 1984, Going Downtown Time, that got to number 20. Is it going downtown tonight? Was it tonight? I've wrote time. Yeah, no. probably. <laughs> number tw- It got to number 20, whatever it was. <laughs> Um, 1984, The Wanderer, which I do I remember very well, number seven. And that's probably the song that I remember Status Quo for, as in probably when I was introducing, which probably about going by the, the year as well, 1984. I mean, I'd have been, what, 12? So that's probably when I was getting into music anyway. So, yeah. That's The Wanderer is the one that, because like I said, I didn't recognise the name of their songs, but when I was listening to them, a few of them sounded familiar. The Wanderer was the only one that I straight away, like, oh, I know the chorus, and that's Connor's favourite. Yeah, and that's probably my favourite, if I'm honest. Um, 1986, so you can see now, so nine, between 1984, obviously they went on tour, as we said, obviously they'd done Live Aid, all in, nine, so 1985 was obviously a touring year, and then they didn't release their next one until 1986, which is obviously after they've had the change of personnel, and obviously gone through this injunction as well. Um, so 1986 was Rolling Home, that got to number nine. And then also Red Sky was 86. That got to number 19. And then 86 again, In the Army now, number two. So there is another number two, sorry. So yeah, In the Army got to number two as well. In the Army now is a cover. Oh, okay. So it's a song by Boland and Boland, which actually spent six weeks at the top of the Norwegian charts whenever it was released uh, beforehand. So it was released actually in 1980, so it's still an 80s song, but it was in 82 for Boland and Boland. I don't think it done much over here because that song is just associated with status quo. But as I say, in Norway, it spent six weeks at number one. So that song hasn't done too badly then if it's number one with one and number two with another band. Which is funny because when I was researching and, and found out that, because I didn't know that, I always automatically assumed that in the army now, 
was there. It's a bit like Tainted Love last week. You know, I've always associated that with Soft Cell. Didn't realise it was a cover. Uh, the fact that then it said its biggest success was in Norway. Bear in mind where AHA come from. You wonder. Uh, it made me wonder whether they had any influence on it. But to be honest, AHA were pretty much starting to get into music or getting together and what have you in 1982 themselves. So it was still early 80s and wouldn't have been really associated with AHA. They wouldn't have got anything out to be an influence yet. No, it's just funny that it was number six all that time in Norway. And obviously, you know, the members of AHA are from Norway. Of course you would think AHA have something to do about it, though. They're like your Bible. Well, just, I mean, in, in Norway, they weren't known for pop songs and that. I mean, they were always known in Eurovision for Nilpois. You know, and then something a half came out of there. So the f- fact that this song had, had spent six weeks there, obviously, it was very commercial success in there. So I suppose if you come from Norway, you would have known about it because it had been there. So so that, that's that's all I wonder. But obviously, in 1982, I think a half in London by that time and starting out on themselves their own road. But anyway, moving on. All still in 1986. So even though they they'd stopped. In 1986, they released four songs. So Dreaming was number 15. Then Nothing in 1987. In 1988, you had Ain't Complaining, number 19. 1988, Who Gets the Love, number 34. 1988, as I say, a take on their rocking all over the world with running all over the world. That got to number 17. And in 1988, and all I remember this song, because I actually bought this single was it was to do with the Tyson, Mike Tyson, Frank Bruno fight. So the chorus, the on and off and on again, was because the fight was on, then it was off, then it was on. It was over that. And I remember the the sleeve of the um, the single was with Mike, Mike Tyson, who was obviously the best well-known boxer, I suppose, the Tiger Woods of golf, the Lewis Hamilton of Formula One. That Mike Tyson was that in, in the 80s of, of boxing or late 80s. And that song was, uh, you know, about that. And as I say, it was called Burning Bridges, but the the lyrics were on and off and on again. That was in reference to the boxing. And that got to number five. And I would have helped that. The only status quo record I've ever gone out and bought, but I did buy that. And yeah, got to number five. And that was their last big hit. And that was in 1988. Do you know what, though? Out of all the songs, considering they've released a lot... I mean, they did fluctuate where they started off. Then they went into their 30s, came back to the teens. Like, they kind of went back and forth. But to be honest, they didn't have many down the lower end of the charts. They kind of stuck in the top 20 with the majority of them. So considering there's a vast amount of songs and over a long period of time, like, they weren't just in, like, a couple of years, you know, like, say, that one, they came from the 60s and they went all through the 80s anyway, they obviously have done well. To be honest, like I said, they've stuck with what they know. All their songs, they do have like a similar feel to them. Um, I think apart from Who Gets the Love, I think that's their most mellow and romanticised song. But all the rest are feel good, like the instrumentals sound the same. So they stuck with what they know and it obviously worked during the 80s. Oh, yeah. that And as you said, I mean, I'm not into rock and roll. But their music, you know, as I say, The Wanderer, Walking All Over the World, Burning Bridges, In the Army Now, although that wasn't there. They are feel-good songs. You'd have them on at your at a party or a disco. As I say, you know, they were definitely the probably the, the best band at the time to have opening up Live Aid. Oh, I definitely agree with that. The 
people behind doing that, getting status quo, getting them on top marks, because I think they were the probably the best people to have around that time, just to get everyone into that party spirit. Do you know what? I might go and watch that like, because I bet you can find the live aid on YouTube. Yeah, it must be out there. I mean, it's uh, funny enough, we were only talking about the other day of who were the Axonics. There was a quiz of who sang what line in Band Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas? But we were saying about, you know, that's just a small snippet of what the, the concert, the actual Live Aid concert. And then obviously they had the follow up of Live Eight, where they had it done in simultaneously in eight different cities. And they had even more because the Har was involved in that because they were in Germany. But yeah, they had different concerts across the continent. Eight, what well, eight? Hence Live Aid. But yeah, and that was good as well. And I, all I remember from that one was Annie Lennox. She was brilliant on it. But I can't really remember, I suppose because I was much younger, the Live Aid. I remember obviously the uproar about it thing behind it now but i can't i wouldn't be able to tell you who other than obviously the groups you can probably think of you know like data scroll not that i'd have known they opened it at the time but duran duran and spandau i'm sure were on there i don't know i'm just presuming but but yeah be interesting to watch it now to be honest all these years later okay moving on into the clash now yes so these are where my shockers come in now did you do much research on these dad well, I've done a bit. Have you got any shockers for me on these, Dad? No. Should I give you some shockers, Dad? Go for it. So, before I tell you my opinion, let's give you this. You know, in previous episodes, you've gone, Computer Love, go listen to Talk. And Our Friends Electric, go listen to Sugar Babes. Yeah? Yeah. Straight to Hell, there's a song. So, I didn't notice it at first. Connor noticed this one, to be fair. Put it on, and Connor goes, Becca... That's this. So he got me to pause it and he played another song. And the beginning, they've sampled it. Paper Planes by MIA has got, I mean, I don't know whether it's true, whether it has come from them, but it's so similar that it must have. Um, so Straight to Hell, the beginning instrumental of that is used in Paper Planes MIA. MIA, don't know who that is. Missing in action. <laughs> <laughs> Just go listen to Paper Planes. You'll you're hear it. You've got to listen to these now, Dad. But there's another one, Dad. Should I stay or should I go? Yeah. The beginning of that, One Direction. You know who they are? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Live While We're Young is the beginning of that. Listen to them. Should I Stay or Should I Go got to number 17 as a double A side with Straight to Hell. How weird. And Should I Stay or Should I Go was then used in a Levi's advert in the 90s and was re-released in 1991 and got to number one. Oh, so that's that one. It's that one oh. that was the number one, but outside of the 80s. So it was originally number 17. And funny enough, it was in a double A side with Straight to Hell. And it was then on a, I'm pretty sure it was a Levi's advert, if I remember, and got to number one in 1991. Ah. Oh, so only just out of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's your turn to listen to some songs this week. Connor found out the Straight to Hell one because as soon as I played it, he said this sounds like this. Then... I've never even heard of MIA. Paper Planes is the only one that I really know. But then, should I stay or should I go? To be fair, I didn't notice it until I weren't listening to it in my car, where I then kind of probably listened to it a bit more. And it literally started and I went, oh my goodness, I've heard that before. And I was like, that's definitely One Direction. And then I had to like think about it. And then I played it and kind of heard it as well. So there's your shocker, go listen to them. Like I say, it might just be coincidence, but how similar they sound, 
I bet if we looked it up, there must be some sort of sample in there, like the previous ones that you've given me. But I'm quite proud that you didn't find that out in your researching. No, that's good. But it's not so much a shocker to me because the original is from the 80s and it's showing you how much the 80s has an influence still on music and how big are One Direction, how big are One Direction and they're using or sampling music from an 80s band. Yeah, it is a shocker, but I'm just quite proud that I heard it. But yeah, it does show that it's still... Yeah, that, and you wouldn't have known that had we not done this and you would be associating that music with Harry Styles and what have you of One Direction rather than they've taken that from The Clash from 1980s. Yeah, so if I, if, you, if I was never doing this with you, like I've heard Live While We're Young umpteen times and I wouldn't have thought, but now doing it with you, obviously I've heard it and the same was straight to hell. Me and Connor wouldn't have noticed it if I weren't because I wouldn't just play that song and be like, oh, this sounds similar. So yeah, so even you're opening me up. Connor's music is influenced... <laughs> from the 80s <laughs> yeah but yeah go listen to him as well then oh, you well. can hear you can see what we're on about but yeah so going back to the crash they're a bit so at the beginning the first few songs that you gave me so obviously they're earlier ones they're a bit boring there's nothing drawing you in like obviously because i listen to them in order that we're discussing them comparing them to status quo status quo open up straight in now and bobbing along these i'm there like i'm waiting I'm waiting for like the drop or the movement to go in from nice and mellow to a bit of an upbeat, but that didn't happen. And then you get to should I stay or should I go? And they've changed a bit. They're a bit more dancey, a bit more up there, a bit more let's get moving. I'm not as bored, but there's only a few that are like that. I mean, there weren't as many as status quo, but from the ones that you gave me, like, only the ones at the end were the ones that I really enjoyed. Again, these, I thought, oh, these are going to be rock. And I don't know why the clash just sounds like they're going to be in my face, heavy rock. But they weren't. Again, I got a more another bit of a country vibe from the more boring ones. I don't know what's wrong with me this week. Um, this is a recurring thing in this. Okay. Well, they're a rock band, but known as punk rock. Oh, Okay. I'm not getting it, but I guess because to me, rock is in your face, it's shouting, and but I guess that might be generation. And I suppose that, yeah, I mean, you can get muddled up with real rock and like heavy metal, you know, that sort of, which, yeah, totally not me. And then you've got your rock, you know, and then you've got your your soft rock, which I suppose is, is status quo and the clash. Yes, what I would call soft rock. Yeah, I think because there's so many like sub-genres with them, you're kind of like, this can't be rock, it's not as in your face. And I don't know, it, it might also be that rock has changed from when you were younger to what I know as rock. I would say this is the sort of rock that goes back to, I suppose, rock and roll of the 60s. And that's why I put all these together, you know, I mean, we'd, we'd discuss them later, but I suppose Stray Cats would be another one. Until I get to Definitely them. a rock and roll. So, yeah. The videos. Okay. They look angry in their videos. Like the main, the lead vocalist kind of is always got eye contact with the camera. He wants the attention on him. But their look changes in every video. They've got all in black in one. Then they're a bit of denim, a bit of colour. Then, I mean, I only watched four videos. So I watched quite a few compared, like 
out of the ones that he gave me but they're it's like they don't have one look like they don't know what they want to look like they're experimenting a bit or they're just going with how they feel on that day I don't know it's like they're all over the place and also their hair changes a lot and it might be that because I don't know when they were released it might have been that it was years in between each video that I watched so you're going to change your hairstyles it just looked like they couldn't get themselves their own little style what they wanted to look like and what they wanted to be they changed quite a lot and also I've got a question in the video I fought the law there's a lot of clips in it like you've got a clip of like I think it was Prince Charles in there and I'm like why what's that song about and I also want to know what Rock the Casbah is about because that's a bit of an odd one they seem a bit, a bit angry in that one so Rock the Casbah is a well-known song as far as I'm aware not I mean I'm not into it but I think yeah that's a although it wasn't a big hit it seems like that was a like a signature tune or you know sort of thing. Oh, okay and regarding I Fought the Law I mean it wasn't a big hit but it was released in 1988 and yet they disbanded in 1986 so I'm not sure if it was in an album track that was I don't I don't know the history behind it but yeah so it was released in 1988 now they released a lot of their music got re-released in the 90s so like as I said should I stay or should I go what the Casbah and London Calling all got re-released in the 1990s or I suppose on the back of the should I stay or should I go probably rejuvenated them but there was no new music oh that's weird so I'm not sure about that one, but you saying about the video obviously being clips and that sort of also ties in with the fact that they weren't, you know. I mean, they were in the video. Yeah. They were then, but then it would flash to like a clip of real life. And the one that just stands out to me is Prince, I'm sure it was Prince Charles walking down some steps. But that happened in 1982. What happened in 1982? Charles and Diane got married. It weren't Charles and Diana's marriage. Oh. It was just Prince Charles walking down some steps. Oh, right, oh. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it weren't married. So oh. I don't I don't know. I just thought there yeah. might be something interesting. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. I, I thought it was weird that it was released after because I was trying to see if they got back together or anything, but I couldn't I couldn't see any. Did you not find if it was like on an album? Well, that's what I meant. I mean, I haven't looked at albums, mm, but not. that's what I was thinking is it was it an album song that was then re-released, but it was before the should I stay or should I go that sort of rocketed them on a second wave sort of thing as the group but I couldn't tell you without really looking into it of um, when I thought the law was actually written was it written before was it you know had it been released I don't know so regarding the clash so Joe Stummer was the uh, guitarist and vocalist and then Mick Jones was another guitarist and then you had Paul Simonon the bassist and Nicky Hedden on drums Hedden left in 82 amid internal frictions and then the same internal frictions that saw Jones leave in 83. And then, as I say, the band disbanded in 86. So they were actually signed by CBS Records in January 1977. Now, wait for this. Now, bear in mind, we were saying about Majeur making their own video for 7,000, which was the equivalent of like 32,000 in these days. Well, this is 1977 now I'm talking, not 1982 that Ultra would have made that video. So in 1977, they signed for CBS Records for £100,000, which that would have been a hell of a lot of money back then. However, the deal was been cited as a classic example 
of a contract no group should ever sign. Because even though they got all this money, the group still had to pay for their own tours, recordings, remixes and artwork. So that money was just for the record company, I suppose, to promote it and produce it, nothing else. So on paper, it sounds like a great amount, especially way back then. But actually, they still had to pay for a hell of a lot themselves. So the record label certainly had the, the better deal. So yeah. they were paying a lot of money, but they were going to get it all back. Yeah, basically, it was like giving them a loan. Yeah, yeah in a sense, yeah, because they, from what I can work out, all that money was for was for promoting the records and the albums that the record company would have made money for anyway. But as far as tours, recordings it, remixes and any cover artwork, the group pay from themselves. So they wouldn't have come out of that deal very well, to be honest. No, not at all. Now, Vernon, when we spoke about the specials last week and how political messages their music was, The Clash are credited with pioneering radical politics in punk rock. Oh. And Strummer was actually a committed socialist. And that's probably why politics and music showing it probably doesn't mix. Because, again, was that what was behind the internal frictions that, that split the band? Yeah, so I was just thinking. And it was The Clash that inspired the two-tone scar movement. So even though they weren't part of it, they inspired it. So it sort of does sink in with last week's the specials. But the weird thing is, you wouldn't think that any of the songs that, like with the specials, you know that they're fighting for something, there's a deeper message in there. But with these, I mean, actually, just across the board this week, I've not thought about the lyrics as such. There's no underlying messages. I suppose when you look at some of the, the titles, though, Bank Robber, This Is England... Yeah, yeah. I don't know, London Calling, maybe? I don't know, you know. And I thought the law, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So there is, when you just look at certain titles, there might be a message behind it. But I think you'd have to look really deep to find it. It's not like the specials where they are literally verbally telling you in detail what they're thinking. Maybe they're ones that I found a bit boring were more political than the more upbeat ones, like Bank Robber. That was one I didn't really enjoy. Possibly, yeah. So The Clash have had a big influence on music you're going to listen to come the end of the 80s. Because obviously, you know, because they were early 80s, they did have still an influence on bands that were coming through in the 80s. So Aztec Camera come out and were inspired by them, as were U2. So both Edge and Bono were very influenced. And Bono actually described them as the greatest rock band. Oh, really? When you think that you two are probably the greatest rock band, they were influenced by The Clash. Really? I don't think that much of them. And The Clash's first gig was at Liverpool's Eric's, and they were supported by The Specials. And hence, obviously, they were an inspiration behind the Two-Tone and Scar because Jerry Dammers of The Specials was behind the Two-Tone record label and everything anyway. So obviously they were a big influence on Jerry Dammers more than any anything else regards to specials. Yeah. And obviously, as we know from last week, he was very politically minded. More than any of the others. Obviously, yeah. like Joe Strummer was. So they had three albums in the 80s, but no top 10 hits. You already said, where should I stay or should I go, King? But, you know, like, should I stay or should I go? I Fought the Law and London Calling. They're quite good ones. I thought they would have been up. 
Well, London Calling, in the 80s, it was a re-release. Oh. So when I get to that, I'll, I'll explain. So 1980, Bank Robber was number 12. That's oh, so just out. 1980, The Call Up, number 40. So literally oh. only just got on this list. 1981, The Magnificent Seven, number 34. 1982, Rock the Casbah, number 30. Yeah, that's their biggest one. Yeah, and yet in 1991, when it was re-released, it got to number 15. So it was a bigger hit X amount of years, you know, like 10 years later. It's like they do better when it, with their re-releases, yeah. by the sound of it. But I think that was all on the back of this Levi's advert. And people might be looking into them again. And a second wave looking into, yeah, getting into their music. Also 1982, the double A side of Should I Stay or Should I Go and Straight to Hell, number 17. Now, as we know, Should I Stay or Should I Go in 1991 when it's re-released, got to number one. Yeah. <laughs> so the two re-releases done better. Yeah. 1985, This Is England, number 24. 1988, London Calling, a re-release, got to number 46. The reason I put it on there is I, I like it. And in 1978, or sorry, 1979, when it was first re-released, it got to number 11, which would have been their biggest hit up till then. Yeah, it is still is. is. Until the Should I Stay or Should I Go re-release. And then that was released in 1991 for another, for a second re-release. So it was released in 1979, got to number 11. It was released in 1988 and got to number 46. And then on the back of the the relaunch of them, um, in 1991, it was re-released for a second time, but only got to number 64. And that pretty much was the end of them. I really like that one. Yeah. I'm quite yeah, shocked. Uh, and then 1988, which is after they disbanded, I Fought the Law, got to number 29. Yeah, I'm not surprised they didn't do that well, but I am shocked that like re-releases didn't do well. Well, no, the re-releases did. but Well, no, they didn't. Well, not London, London Calling, didn't No. No, not as far as the 80s. But I think it's because they're following, because of the 80s music that was around at that time, that just didn't, it wasn't the music for that time. You know, so when you had the electro pop and the synth pop and the um, sophisti pop that was coming out, the rock and roll, the rock, soft rock and what have you, just wasn't it. So in the 70s, yes, the problem is they miss, probably missed the boat because they were late 70s. Yeah. And then they had better success in the early 90s. 80s weren't for them when people were obviously fed up of what was around <laughs> in the 80s that i like they were starting to move on to other things and obviously they liked it but as i say it was on the back of an advert they're the ones that have had like the most re-releases that we've discussed so far yeah 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 it's like they were really trying and just didn't really get in yeah as i say i think they had a good cult following but for whatever reason the 80s wasn't for that type of music i mean they still had hits but their biggest hit was what bank robber and that was in 1980 i mean it was still as, as i said all those are still top 40 but just not really mainstream or top 10 okay moving on the squeeze so not much to say about these not gonna lie okay the only song that i liked was my favorite pulling muscles the rest at first, I was like, oh, these are very relaxed. Are they a bit too relaxed? Again, I was waiting for a drop. I was waiting for something. There was something missing. There was no oomph in the music. And you couldn't really understand what they were saying either. 
apart from him pulling muscles, I think that was like the most upbeat in the one. I think like me, I obviously like upbeat a lot ones that make me feel good. If you're going to give me a slow, long song, I'm not really going to want to sit through it. But I also couldn't understand what they were saying. It was like a bit too quiet and a bit too fast and a bit too blah, blah. Only a few of them got my attention out of the ones that you gave me. And they did change and get a bit more upbeat, but then it still didn't draw me in. There was still something missing about them that I've seen from others. And this one, I couldn't put my finger on a genre. And I think it's because they're a bit all over the place. They're known as a rock band, but pop rock. Oh, I wouldn't have said that. Yeah, so... No, I'll be honest, I wouldn't have put them down as a rock band. No. I wouldn't have put them down as a pop either, so I suppose that's why they're a bit pop rock. Yeah. I watched some of the videos... And I was surprised to see what he looked like. The voice doesn't match what the singer looks like. It's very deep for, I don't know. He just went what I was expecting to match with the voice. And again, we're back to them looking quite rough. So maybe that's where the Rocky comes from. Like a bit, you know, just turn up kind of thing. Also, how many people are in this band? So you've got the two guys that put Squeeze together were Chris Difford and Glenn Tilbrook. And they actually went off and done their own bit as well, like a side project, Difford and Tilbrook. Of course. So Chris Difford was the vocalist, guitarist, and he wrote the lyrics. Okay, so he's not a songwriter. He wrote the lyrics. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Glenn Tilbrook was the vocals, guitar, and music. So he wrote the music. Ah, okay. So they then put the two together. So lyrics, music, put them together, whatever, and then that's how they worked. So they didn't have a principal songwriter. There was they worked together. I do the music. You wrote the lyrics, and eventually they get a song out then you had you must have heard of him Jules Holland no he's always to do with Hogmanay in Scotland every New Year's Eve he'll be on BBC Two anyway he was their keyboards and then Paul Gunn was on drums Jules left in 1980 so he was that tells you how early they were because he left all the 80s and he was replaced by Roxy Music's Paul Carrick and then Harry Kulkuli joined the the band as a bassist because obviously I suppose as music's changed they brought in a bassist and Gibson Lavis became the drummer from 1975 so the drummer Paul Gunn he left way before we've even got to the 80s. Wow so when did these guys start out then? They started out in 1974 I think it was I haven't written it down I don't know why I haven't written it down quickly checking now 1974 spot on now I remembered so they, yeah, they were formed in 1974, as I said, by Tilbrook and Difford. And then obviously their two biggest hits. So if you remember at the beginning, I said I did put in a couple of songs that were outside of the 80s, like with Gary Newman. That was Call for Cats and Up the Junction. I like them, but they're actually 1979. You like them? I like Call for Cats and Up the Junction, yeah, yeah. I think they're very weird. Yeah. Yeah, they're just like a bit odd. If I was to tell you, then they both got to number two. Wow. Both songs. You're weird as well. Good job you weren't around in the 70s, late 70s, 80s. Well, I would have been helping them out. Sense. Oh, <laughs> that's for sure. But yeah. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that was something that you'd like either. Yeah, yeah. But funny enough, my favourite song of theirs is Pulling Muscles from the Shell. I really like that one. Which wasn't a hit. What? Where did that one come? Yeah. Which is what I said to you, there's one that I've put in because I like it that wasn't a hit. And it's funny that you like it as well. That's the only one I liked. Yeah, where well, it got to number 44. You're joking. 
No, but it's on a lot of 80s compilations. So it's, it's a, obviously a good a song one. that people like, but for whatever reason, it didn't do well in the charts. Number 44. So by wise, you shouldn't have even listened to it. <laughs> well, I'm glad I did because otherwise there wouldn't have been much well, exactly, to talk about. Exactly, because I, I do like it, you know. Probably that and up the junction are probably, yeah, the two that I like. I do like Hourglass as well, actually. I was going to say, the only other one would probably be Hourglass. Yeah. Talking of Hourglass, though, you start seeing a different type of video in Hourglass. Like, they've got, like, okay, bear with me. So, you know, Aha, yeah. and they do Take On Me, and they're all comic to begin with. Yeah. They're not comic in this one, but it just made me think... They're playing around with things more. So they're like in like a house, they go through a door and it's like illusion. Oh, and yes, yes. Their guitars right, yes. are bending. The door gets smaller and yeah. they get bigger than that, doesn't And they? their yeah, guitars are bending now, yeah. and one of them takes a clock yes, cans yes. As, a, as their drumming that's sticks. That's right. Yeah. The drummer. Yes, I remember So I was like, oh, yeah. intrigued by the music videos, watched the yeah. rest and like that, some more videos. And I was like, oh, that's just hourglass then. But I quite like that. <laughs> yeah. But you've got to remember, though, Hourglass, so when I go through the, the, the years, that would have been in that time where videos suddenly are having an influence, whereas the other stuff was before videos. And that's what I'm saying, the 80s, the videos, yeah. was a big thing, especially from the mid-80s, late 80s, when it was, you know, MTV come over and what have you. And that, I think, is where you'll see, I suppose, the squeeze, which were around from, as I said, Call for Cats up the junction, 1979, both number two, and then they didn't have anything really until Hourglass, which was 1987, which would have been videos. Yeah, because 1987, that's when the videos are really, because the 80s are videos, and obviously we've got all the videos, but like I keep saying, they're just live performances. Yeah, because they would, that's all they would have been, back because videos weren't a thing. Mm, like you want to make the video to appear on MTV to get your music out there, but you haven't got yeah. the budget, you haven't got the creativity yet. Get towards no. the end of the 80s and you're seeing ones like Hourglass. So I quite yeah. like that video. I mean, as I said before, Ultravox were probably the main one, you know, with Vienna and putting their money yeah. behind it. Duran Duran were the ones who were, you know, they were literally treating it like a movie, a yeah, mini They had movie, the budget, the though. The budget they? they had, you know. But then you're seeing now with like Squeeze, where it's a band who's probably had to change and suddenly never thought about a video up till now. Yeah, yeah. And, but now videos are a big game changer as far as getting your music out there and getting the sales. Mm-hmm, yeah. In Cool Cats, that video, there was some dodgy dance moves. What was it? I don't know. Yeah, there's these women with red lips, red sunglasses, and they're just dancing around. There's just people dancing around the guy that's singing. And I'm like, all right, guys, calm down. <laughs> Like it's not that a, that much of a fun song that you need to dance around that like you're having the best time of your life because really you can't be. But they're all just dancing in a circle. I was like, what is going on here? But then the song's weird, so I let them off for being weird. But yeah, didn't really think much about them. They were just a bit weird. Okay, so you didn't think much about them, but have you heard of Kasabian and Razorlight? Yeah. Both influenced by Squeeze. Really? So I found out in my research, yeah. They yeah. sound nothing Sabian like and Razorlight were influenced by Squeeze. I like Razorlight so, when they were And out. bands that supported Squeeze on tours include Dire Straits, who you will come to hear about. Okay. The Jam, R.E.M. I've heard of R.E.M. The Specials. Yeah. U2. Yeah. And XTC. So they had a lot of people supporting them, didn't they? So, yeah. 
They were actually formed in London and they played amongst the same music scene as Dire Straits. So I think that's why Dire Straits was obviously uh, support because they obviously knew Dire Straits and then Dire Straits become the band that they... Still don't think much of them. No? No, they're just a bit, a bit wish-washy. Fair enough. So yeah, so the Clash were London as well, which I didn't think, I don't think I said. So they were, they were formed in London in 1976. And obviously the Squeeze were around in that time as well. So these are bands from the early or mid 70s that then still went on into their 80s. I was going to say, what's weird is that this week, these bands are being formed before yeah. the 80s. That's why I put them all together. But making it in yeah, the yeah. yeah. So regarding Squeeze then, so they had one top 10. However, two in the 70s of what you listen to, which obviously what do I said. And their first hit was in 1978. So 1979, Call for Cats, number two, and Up the Junction, also number two in 1979. Then we go into the 80s. So Another Nail in My Heart in 1980 got to number 17. Then we had in 1980, Pulling Muscles from the Shell, as I said, number 44. Still can't believe that. Yeah. Then you had 1981, Is That Love, number 35. 1981, Labelled with Love, their biggest hit, or biggest hit in the 80s, should I say, number four. That one weren't too bad. And then... As you said about the video, 1987. So in my mind, we'd gone from 1981 to 1987 before they had another top 40. And that was Hourglass, and that got to number 16. So they didn't do too well as a group anyway, did they? No, no. Not a surprise. Moving on then, I think, it's probably the best thing to say now. Goodbye to Squeeze. On to our last one for this week. So Stray Cats. I love these. Yeah. But not as much for their songs. Just, they're a bit, I don't know, a bit. Funky, aren't they? They scream Elvis Presley. So they are rock and roll. Yeah. And they are from America. thought they were America. I accidentally watched a little interview and they sounded America. Uh-huh. But they scream Elvis Presley. Now, even the hair, the hair with the way curl at the front. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I've got very little on them other than who was in the band, who influenced and how many albums and that they had in the 80s. Oh, so they weren't that big then? Oh, just going back, I never said, but Squeeze had seven albums in the 80s. You're joking. No, no. They did blooming awful. Yeah, move on from them. I I don't know what music was on it, but they had seven (laughs) albums in the 80s. I mean, we've got five hits in the 80s, if you take out the two. Although I think that the two in 1979, the album, they were released obviously before the album, because I'm pretty sure I looked and they were on the album of a 1980s album. Still, you've got... Literally, what, a handful of songs, and they've gone from 1981 to 1987 with not a hit, and yet they had seven albums. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that when we were just talking. So now going back to Stray Cats, they had six albums in the 80s. They still didn't have that many, but I liked Stray Cats. However, only four were released in the UK. Oh, okay. But they were bigger in America than they were in the UK. Okay. 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 Well, I liked these. Like I say, Elvis Presley vibes. I think they even looked like like Elvis. There was a part, so me and Connor were watching some videos together and Connor went, I bet this guy, their their lead vocal, I bet he does a little dance like Elvis does. And he did. He did a little footy dance. I was like, they are a clone of Elvis. They're a Elvis wannabe. I don't know whether they were influenced by him, but they looked a bit like him. They moved a bit like He even had a voice. Like he did like the, the type, I can't do it because I'm not a singer and I don't want to embarrass myself, but like the deepness of the 
I can't explain it, but it was just Elvis Presley vibes. And I liked that. I mean, like Elvis Presley is big, isn't he? So you're going to like them if you like Elvis. And also the guitarist, he's got some good solos in there. I'd listen to him on his own. Well, he was the one who formed them, Brian Setzer. Uh, I've written it down here, actually, who they were influenced by. And I haven't got Elvis Presley on here. It was Bill Haley and the Comets. Same era, 60s. But um, yeah, no, Bill Haley and the Comets rather than Elvis Presley. But then who they're influenced by might, you know, because like in the 60s, they might all look the same. And Elvis is just the, the big one that you know. So that's who I'm going to relate it with. Yeah, 50s, 60s. Again, I can imagine these being good lives. These ones were like entertainers. Well, they're the first ones that we've come across with a, someone on the group who's a double bass player. That means nothing to me. It doesn't really mean much to me. <laughs> <laughs> I've written it down, double bass. Okay. <laughs> just, just a touch on. Well, I don't know, that might make a difference to why they sound so good. But I think that they're entertainers anyway. I can see, like status quo, you can see them being into school dancing. It, I didn't want to make a fool of myself, but I was thinking it's it was like a a cello, but and it is a big side of a cello. In other words, you can't put it on your on on your shoulder. You hold it like that. But I just wanted to make sure, and I've now just looked up. And a double bass is a big cello. Right. Okay. <laughs> you have it on the floor between your legs, or however you want to do it. Well, this was the first group. I can't even think of another double bass player. To be fair. On that, some of that album art, the like Stray Cat Strut, Rock This Town and Runaway Boys. Ah, that's, yeah, so that, yeah, and that is your double bass, so that is it. Quite like that. They're quite different, aren't they? Yeah. That's what I think about these. They're quite different, but their music's very, it just gets you, and it's very dancey, and I could be in a, like, a school dance or at a wedding and have these playing, and everyone will be out. They, like, it's like status quo, so... I like that. They're entertainers. They really give you something. And But again, I wrote down country. So apparently I want a bit of country, Dad. Watching the videos, like I've already said, they look like they're inspired by Elvis. They've got hair, like a mullet, and it's very quiffy on the top and moves in its own little way. A bit of earrings. They've brought the eyeliner back, which this week hasn't really had much of it. They've all got the high-waisted trousers again. Clothes are all tucked in. They're like a vest. Like, they haven't got sleeves on. And it's like a jacket, but they're not wearing anything under it, and it's got no sleeves. So they obviously had a look, because they all had that. And they're not as pristine. They've got the tattoos, and so you can tell there's a bit of rock in there. Like I said this week, they all look a bit rough. I mean, compared to New Romantics. And I think that's what you'll find, the difference. You know, these are men's men. You know, you've already said status quo and then denim and that. You know, these were, they're rockers. You know, they're not your new romantics and all that that we've, we've spoke about up till now. Yeah. And what I liked, so there was one song that I quite liked. It was, uh, it was nearly my favourite, Sexy and 17. Oh, yeah. I watched that video and it brought, because I was intrigued. Well, Connor was more intrigued than me because he was like, how old are these people? To sing about someone that's sexy and 17. So I was like, well, let's watch the video. And... They don't look that old, so I was like, okay, that works. And they're just in school, aren't they? And it was quite nice to see, like, a different type of... Like, their their videos are actual videos, like, stray cats struck them in an alleyway, and it's like they're about, like, being cats. But I also thought there was an underlying message. It might be to do with some sort of prostitution in stray cats struck, but I don't know. But that might be just because the video had this woman who was, like, kind of strutting up and down this alleyway, and they were all kind of oogling at her. But in both those videos, it was nice to see 
women in there as well. I mean, I guess in Sexy and 17, it was more like they were in school. And so it was just seeing what they dressed like in school. Like I say, they all had high-waisted. It was brought out the colours again. And they were just there with obviously their, like you say, they were rockers. But all the women with their perms and everything. So it was quite nice because there hasn't been much women. Yeah, I like these. There was a lot to, to look at, considering they didn't have that many. Okay. So straight cap, 1980, Runaway Boys got to number nine. And 1981, what Miss Town got to number nine as well. So they were their two top. Only just in okay. the top tens. But... So yeah, 1981, the race is on, number 34. Really? Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah. The race is on. So when I was finding the video for that one, that's the one that I accidentally clicked on an interview. I'm sure it was that one. I accidentally clicked on an interview and that's when I realised they were American. But they did that song with someone else. Oh, I'm intrigued by that someone else because the interview, like I literally, the only thing of the interview I heard was the interviewee said, how did it come about for you to work with this guy? And then when I found the actual video, they have got this guy at the front and they're all behind him and he looks completely different to them. So it would be like, a, how did that all come about? So I just wondered if you knew anything about that. Well, it's funny because I never wrote it down. I looked it up. I thought, oh, I haven't wrote that one down when you was going through about what you... And I thought, I haven't wrote that one. Why have I missed that off? Because I had it on you, obviously, when I sent you the songs... Yeah, and then I've had to, and it's not on where I get my uh, point of reference that I go to. So I'm now going to look into what the race is on is to do with because it didn't come up on Wikipedia. It didn't come up on there as their song. You might be right. It might well be that they've done it with. So they're oh no, Dave Edmonds and the Stray Cats. It says so they've done it with a Dave Edmonds and. He, all it says about him is a Welsh, spend my near American, Welsh singer, songwriter, guitarist and record producer, although he's mainly associated with pub rock and new wave. And he had many hits in the 70s, early 80s, and his style is towards 1950s rock and roll and rockability. I'm guessing he might have wrote the song and asked them to, uh, to be on it because... It doesn't come up. I can't look at it. It's not letting me see what the race is on, as in who wrote or anything. But yeah, it was well a number 34. But I'm guessing it was his song and Stray Cats come on it, as in was asked to perform on it with him. Who did you say? What's his name? Dave Edmonds. Uh, it says that it's written by Don Rollins and George Jones. That's on so Spotify. It could well be then. It was a, a cover. Yeah, maybe. So yeah. Oh. I don't know. It was just because I clicked on an interview, so I just wondered. Trust you to pick the one song that I hadn't looked up, <laughs> and it was number thirty-four. They're they're not even a hit, really. No. But there. And then um, nineteen eighty-three, she's sexy at seventeen. That got to number twenty-nine. Okay. However, over in the US, Stray Cat Strut got to number three, and she's sexy at seventeen. Got to number five. So again, they were very they were more liked over in the US than they were here. So their two biggest hits in the US were not their two biggest hits over here. Well, I I enjoyed them. Yeah. Oh. Again, none of this week's were really my kind of music, but I, it's only right that I introduce you to them. And as you're proving, you might like them because we're all different and I'm glad we have. So I suppose now to find out which ones, I'm guessing it's two and two tonight, but we will see. Hit or miss. So... Status quo, hit. Thought so. Yeah, they're just, they're great. 
The Clash. So I did put them as a miss. I thought so. It's annoying because it's like I like some of their songs. So like some of their songs are a hit. If they carried on, like should I stay, should I go, London calling. I thought a lot, you know. And they're songs I like, but it doesn't mean to say you're gonna. I like them as like as a you know, band, as a yeah, or go out and buy an album, which is how I look at it. If I, if I like a group, I'll go out and buy their album because I'm more than likely like the. Or you'd like to think you might like the rest of it. Whereas if you don't, you know, if you don't even like some of their commercial stuff, then you're not going to then go out and buy an album. Yeah. So like status quo, I will listen to again. I would fully put that on when I've got people around and we're having a party. The Clash, I'm saying it is a miss altogether, but some of them were a hit. It is interesting, though, about the influence they've had on music of your time. Yeah. So you'll definitely have to listen to them. Yeah. Because I want you to hear what I've heard. But yeah, especially like One Direction, because you wouldn't think that, especially because Live While We're Young, that's like on their first album. So it's before they were like really even massive. And One Direction, like if you look at Harry Styles, he's gone into more of a, he likes a bit of rock alternative, I think. And I think it got less poppy towards before they broke up. But yeah, I'm, I was shocked that that's One Direction, how big they are. So Squeeze, put a miss. Did and the only song I liked was Pulling Muscles. Complete mess. They just, I don't know, they were just all over the place a bit. No, no, just weren't my liking at all. That I think when you're what you're going to realize if there's upbeat and feel good songs in there, that's my thing. No matter what genre it is, as long as it makes you feel good and makes me want to kind of get up and have a sing song, I'm gonna like you. And then Stray Cats was a hit, so yeah, you're right. Two hit, two miss. And it was the two I thought it would be just from listening to what you were saying, I thought. Status Quo and Stray Cats would be hits and The Clash and Squeeze would be your, your missus. So I'm not shocked. Okay, getting ready for next week then. Yeah. What's next week going to give me? It's hard to describe, but it's similar kind of music. Okay. It's, it's hard because uh, I'll give you them and let you listen to them and we'll discuss next <laughs> week. So The Jam. Right. I mean, you've mentioned them this week, support in the class or squeeze, squeeze. Yeah, uh, squeeze. ELO or the Electric Light Orchestra. Okay. Roxy Music, who we also mentioned because someone I mentioned um, left Roxy Music to join another group. It was, that was Squeeze again, Paul Carrick. So he left Roxy Music to go to Squeeze and The Pretenders. I've heard of the Pretenders. Okay. They're the only ones I've heard of, apart from you mentioning the others. Okay, so the Jam, ELO, Roxy Music and the Pretenders are what you will be having the delightful... Listen to. Are you not a fan? Is it another week where you're not a fan? Um, no, no, no. Um, um, I suppose the Pretenders, but yeah, I'm not... I'm, I mean, I like the Pretenders. I like the Jam as in their... It's hard to explain without putting them, but their lead singer, he left, formed another group, and I like that group. Right, okay. Okay. But yeah, let's see how you how you find it. Because you shock me every week. I wasn't expecting you to like the stray cats. <laughs> In fact, I probably wasn't really expecting you to like the status quo, but certainly not the stray cats. But there we go. I told you I listen to anything and everything. Yeah. Wide variety of music I like. No, and there's a wide variety of it in the 80s. We are still only in the 1980s, as in, obviously, you're listening to music that of... 1980. 80s, 80s. Uh, yeah, so 1980, yes. 
groups that had their first hit in the 1980, but obviously they went through the 80s. But you're still we're still in 1980. We haven't moved on to the groups that weren't around in 1980 yet. There are a lot. Yeah, but as you just heard with Stray Cats, after 84, nothing. And it was 1984 that I got into music. You know, these are even that I've come across since, you know, through either compilations. I was surprised because I didn't know until obviously I looked into it that Pulling Muscles on a Shell wasn't even a hit. It's only when I've looked into it because that is the song that is, for me is associated with Squeeze. Because, yes, I like Call for Cats and Up the Junction, but they're not on 80s compilations because they're not from the 80s. It is Pulling Muscles from the Shell that is, is Squeeze. But that didn't even make it a hit. Interesting. Okay. Well, we will see how you do next week. See see if I shock you. Yeah. Well, thank you for discussing today. Give me them couple of things that I've now got to go and listen to. Yep. Listen to some music that I don't even like that um be interesting. Let us know what you think of One Direction, Dad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On that note, I will say goodbye. All right, Dad. See you. Speak to you next week. Bye, Dad. Bye.